And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show post-Super Bowl edition. I get why you're asking. Wait, this is a college football show. Why are you guys talking about the Super Bowl? Because everybody stops to watch the Super Bowl. The, the, the entire sports world watches the Super Bowl, even if it's just for the commercials. My favorite was Drake from State Farm. You may have your own opinions. Uh, as long as it's not the uh, the mayonnaise one, I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, but, you know, I feel like, especially since the NFL has moved closer to the college game in terms of scheme, that we can learn a lot from, from stuff like this. And Ari Wasserman joins me from Las Vegas, where he took in the Super Bowl and um, uh, might have taken a bath. Uh, he, he was very vague about what, what happened. But Ari... Uh, tell us, tell tell the folks how it went last night. Um, I took a bath. Um, and the thing that's crazy, and I know we're going to get into this, Andy, is that there was a stat I read somewhere before the game going into it about their offensive line and how like they were all cut from a post a post stint at, with another team. And then the one that this wasn't is, this cut. Is the Chiefs. The Chiefs the, offensive right, line, the excuse Chiefs me, yes. That, 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 was, that was playing because uh, Mitch Schwartz went out earlier in the season and Eric Fisher, the former number one overall draft pick, went out during the NF, the AFC Championship game. So, so come, yeah. continue. Four, four out of the five offensive linemen that started for the Chiefs last night had been cut from a previous team. And the one that hadn't been cut was a seventh-round pick last year. And I thought to myself, uh-oh. You know, and it was just like the idea of, first of all, I was in Vegas, so I had to play the game. Um, and we all, all my friends decided to go Chiefs. And when you're in a sports book with all your closest friends, you know, you all have to play the same side. You know, there, there's no, you know, there has to be uniformity. There, there, You can't have one friend cheering when everybody else is sad. So the Chiefs were the side that we played, bought it down to two and a half and uh, uh, had some props. And uh, let's just say... I don't think I got one thing right. And um, I know I had uh, Byron Pringle to score the first touchdown at 32 to one and the ball hit his hands uh, in the end zone right at, right out of the gate and he dropped it and then the Chiefs didn't score again. So, you know, it is an interesting uh, way to view the game because I was dying the entire time. Um, and good news is, is that we we went and played craps after it was over. My friend hit seven numbers on one roll, and we got it all back. But the, the game wow. uh, itself, I couldn't have been more wrong. At least the craps table made up for it, Ari. But I think we learned something about football. And, and it's not something that is a new thing. It's not something that, that it, we didn't know before. But it's always good to get a reminder of this. And I think we can translate this to college football very easily. We always talk about why Alabama and Ohio State and, and Clemson and and Georgia and LSU are always kind of where they are. And this is why, and I saw this tweet last night and it made me laugh. And I wish I, I wish I'd marked it so I could give the person proper credit, but basically it was jokingly making, you know, saying that Andy Reed failed because he didn't stockpile enough offensive linemen 
to have a full starting unit behind the original starting unit like Nick, like Nick Saban always does. And it, it's true. I mean, that's the thing. You win on the line of scrimmage, you win the game, and you just laid it out for us. And if somebody had laid that out for me before the game, because I was going into the game thinking, oh, you know, the, this Chiefs offense is incredible. Uh, you saw what they did to the Bucks defense in, in Week 12. What's you know what's going to change other than Vita Vea being back, which I didn't know how big of a difference that would make. But I didn't think about it in terms of how different the Chiefs line would look. And if you if you'd said what you said about the Chiefs line just now, and then you'd said those guys will be going up against Vita Vea, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, you know, Indomitian Sue, all guys who as people who love college football were fantastic college football players. JPP only had the one year at USF, but all those other guys were complete stars. Like even if you didn't follow Colorado state, you probably knew about Shaq Barrett going to the draft because he was awesome at Colorado state. So in Dominican Sue, I voted him number one for the Heisman his senior year. You know, Vita Vea, I wrote this huge story when I was at sports illustrated about just about what a dynamic prospect he was. He played tailback in high school at like 300 pounds. So if you'd have said what you said about the Chiefs and then I thought about the Bucks starting defensive line, that would have been it. I, I, all of my money would have been on the Bucks at that point, but I, didn't, I wasn't even thinking about it that way. And I'm sure there were some NFL pregame shows that did set it up that way, but that's all it, all, all it really should have taken to make you understand what was going to happen. Andy, I knew and still was wrong. I did it. I walked right into the lion's den. Uh, I knew what was going on with the offensive line, and I opted to to make that decision. And it's just like there was, you know, the analysis of the Super Bowl for most media outlets is Brady versus Mahomes, who's going to win? It's like they don't, you don't really like get the idea of how you would break this down the way that, you know, we do in college. And something else riled me up this weekend. And um, it was funny because, all the stats were flying around the internet and all the assistant coaches at middle tier programs were, were tweeting it out. But did you see the star comparison? Um, oh, I, I, I thought of you immediately because fortunately the, the, the brigade jumped in pretty quick on this with the star comparison, because uh, you may have the numbers in front of you, but I was a, cause it is about 40% basically of the starters were four and five star guys. And everybody else was a, a, two-star, three-star, and no-star guy. And they're like, yeah, see, star rankings don't mean anything. Yeah, I don't know what the exact numbers are off the top of my head. I'm trying to find them as we talk about it. But the, the, well, the moral I, of the I story can, I, was that there were a lot more um, a lot more three-star to no-star players on the rosters than there were five-star players. And it's just like, I don't know why we have to keep going through this. It It's simple math. All right, here's the, here's the stat. The Super Bowl has one player that was an ESPN five-star high school, and they're using ESPN rankings. Recruit Leonard Fournette. KC has 12 four-stars. Tampa Bay has eight. KC has 10 three-stars. Tampa Bay has 12. KC has 19 below three-stars, and Tampa Bay has 22. And then everybody in the world was trying to use this as an illustration that the stars don't matter. And I think there, there might be some misconception to this discussion. I, I think can, well, that— Well, can, can I, can I yeah. say we need, we need to use it as an illustration of something? But we need to use it as, as an illustration that we don't teach math in schools anymore. Yeah. That's it, what we need to use as, yeah. as, an, as an illustration of. Yeah. I think that like the idea is that people – there's two different discussions. It's one, if you're less than a three-star prospect and you have hard talent and 
ability and work ethic and all the, the tools and intangibles that a, a player needs to achieve the highest level, the star doesn't matter, I guess, for you individually. Or that you can outplay your star because anybody who has a dream can chase it and achieve, achieve great things. And we see it over and over again in the NFL. But if you're using that as an illustration to say that stars don't matter, like cumulatively, um, then you're insane. And then also, if there's 35 star prospects and 800 three star prospects every year, and 15% of the NFL rosters are still five star prospects, do people understand the math there? Like it's unbelievable that that every year we have to have this discussion and how hard it is for people to grasp the simple math that even though there are more three stars cumulatively, that doesn't mean anything. It just means there's like a million more of them. And, you know, that's kind of right. the way that the whole equation works. And the fact of well, the matter is, and, is and that, if, if, yeah, go ahead. If 10% of the players you ranked or didn't rank, if 10% of the players wind up occupying 40 something percent percent of the spots, you actually ranked them pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and Bud Elliott, Bud Elliott broke it down. And I guess this, I should have just led with this, but um, Super Bowl uh, starters based on recruiting ranking, five stars, one and eight, four stars, one and 22, three stars, one in 114. And like the, the I, I guess the way that he broke it down is kind of confusing, but 12.5% of the players were five star prospects, um, 4.5 in terms of odds and three stars 0.9. So even though there's more, there's more three-star prospects out there, 12.5% of the entire population of, of five stars that were drafted amongst those years were, were on that team. So it's still the highest percentage of players were still five-star prospects. Yes. If you, if you are ranked a five-star, you are more likely to wind up playing in the NFL. You're more likely to wind up succeeding in the NFL. That That's the thing. And yes, out of sheer numbers, there are more three stars, two stars, zero stars. But no, it, on the whole, those rankings are pretty good. They're about as good as what GMs do in terms of hit rate when they pick in the first round. You know, you say, well, but not all five stars succeed. That's true. Not all first round draft picks succeed either. And they got a lot more money spent on evaluating and they're evaluating a lot fewer players. So... It's it's not it's not rocket science, but there is some math involved, and yeah. so you have to understand math a little bit to understand why that's a dumb stat. Yeah, I, I just like I don't understand why there's this constant urge to try to make them not matter, and I guess part of the reason why is because ninety percent of because of because the fan Ari, base we want to believe yeah. No, we we want to believe. There's two reasons. One, we want to believe our college team has a chance to win a national title, even though. If it's not Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, am I leaving somebody out? That's pretty much it. Those are the teams with a chance to win the national title. But we also want to believe that we might someday be that guy. That, that if, if things had shook, shaken out a little bit differently, if we would worked a little bit harder, we might have gotten into the Super Bowl. I am here to tell you, folks, I played against first-round draft picks at practice. I was a good high school football player in the best high school football state in America, the Sunshine State. I we were in 6A. It was the highest classification, the biggest school classification. I was pretty good. I was nowhere close to those people. I was accurately rated, and there were no star ratings, but I would have been a, a zero or a two. 
I was very accurately rated. A five-star is a different human being. We don't all have that. It's okay that we don't all have that. We all have our gifts, but some of those guys are just more gifted athletes. And here's the thing, and this is the part that nobody ever talks about, Ari. If you want to succeed in the NFL, whether you're a five-star or a two-star, you got to work just as hard. Like, the five-star guys who succeed in the NFL are ridiculously hard workers. The ones who don't are the ones who don't succeed in the NFL. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, there's always this implication, too, that five-star prospects don't have the heart that the three-star prospect has. And it's just like, no, the five-star prospects who make it to the NFL are really, really good athletically and also have a biggest heart you can imagine. And I uh, I don't know, like, what your parenting style is, but if I have a son one day and he looks up to, at me when I'm when he's five years old and says, Daddy, I want to play in the NFL, and if he's anything like me, and be like, sorry, son, that's never going to happen. Like, I don't know, like, can you... I, I, I don't that say that. Parenting? I've had the... I've had the conversation. So I, I've had my kids say, well, you know, what about the NFL? And I'll say, here are the numbers. Here's how many NFL players there are. Here's how many college football players there are. Here's how many in the FBS. How many in the FCS? How many in Division II? How many in Division III? How many high school players there are? You tell me. You know, you can, you can try it because here's the thing. He's going to be big. He's probably going to be tall. So he, he will have the basic physical characteristics necessary to, to be decent at football. But everything else is kind of on you. And, and athletically, if you take after me, you're not going to be a four-star or a five-star. So, But your you're, kid you're at least has a chance, Andy. You played college football. like You were able to walk on well, to one of the best programs but, in Florida. You're, uh, my kid has no chance. But that's why, I, that's why I give him the numbers, though. You just need to understand... What's your? Because I don't want to say no. You can't do this. I don't ever want to say no. You can't do this to either of my kids. I, you know, I I want them to. When when my daughter decided at age five she was going to be the first pop star president, I was like, sure, sounds great. I think she probably is more likely going to. I, I've always thought she is going to work out of the White House or a hollowed out volcano. So she's going to take over the world one way or the other. I know this. I don't know about the pop star part because I, you know, neither her mom or, nor I can sing. And the voices in this house are not great. So I lean more toward the president for her than I do the pop star part. But yeah, for my son, I just said, look, here's the numbers. Hope you have a good backup plan, but work as hard as you want. And if you enjoy it, if you love playing, that's great. And work hard and, and try to be the best you can at it. Just have a backup plan, you know? 
Don't yeah. don't let your grades slip. Yeah, I think your uh, your parenting style is probably better than mine. Mine was just like, son, never have dreams. Figure something else out. Yours was like, <laughs> here are the numbers. You could still ach- potentially achieve what you want to achieve, but here's the odds of it and work hard and love something. When I was just like, kid, find something else. I uh, There, there well, isn't a here, chance. Here's the thing, Ari. If, if somebody had thrown the numbers at me for this field that, that, we, that we currently work in, going into college, I would have been like, oh, crap. Uh, I guess I know you need to go get an accounting degree or something because because they're like, I'll, I'll never we'll never make it because if 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 I tell you how many people in your intro to journalism class are actually going to wind up doing the job, you're like, oh, man, because it's going to be like one in one in a hundred. And um, it's just like, yeah. oh, that. I, so you, you can't worry about, you know, sort of you got to Han Solo it a, a little bit. Never tell me the odds. But you also just need to understand kind of where your gifts are and and where you are, maybe where you do have a special talent as opposed to, you know, everybody assumes it in sports, but there are, there are people who are just phenomenally talented at all kinds of different things. And it's a matter of identifying that. Yeah. I like, I don't know if I'm, if this makes sense to you, but if my son said, dad, I want to be the president, I wouldn't say that's impossible. I just understand this is a football conversation that um, playing college football or making it to the NFL is, is like about how, what would you say the percentage is 85 or 90 percent genetics 10 percent work ethic and intangibles like you can't yeah I, you can't well, and, and the genetics thing is interesting to me because I bring I always bring up Hunter Renfro because everybody thinks Hunter Renfro is like this this testament to grit Hunter Renfro has elite change of direction speed that showed the second he walked on Clemson's campus and I would say if Hunter Renfro had played at a big high school, let's say in suburban Atlanta, where he would have played as a slot receiver instead of playing option quarterback, which he did at his high school near Myrtle Beach, that he would have been pretty heavily recruited as a wide receiver. It's just that people didn't know. And you know, I've had guys who played DB at Clemson who said Hunter Renfro walks out you know, just as he gets on campus when he's basically 145 soaking wet and is destroying future NFL DBs right out of the gate because he has elite change of direction speed. But we didn't know that. Nobody knew that because he's playing option quarterback. You you saw it, you know, when he's making cuts with the ball, but you never saw him really running routes unless you were at a football camp with him at where, where he was working out at receiver. So, you know, you can talk about the grit all you want. Everybody who makes it to the NFL has some sort of elite physical characteristic. Yeah, I was going to say, is there a single person in the NFL that doesn't have elite genetics? No. Like a single person. I don't think a single person has ever made it to the NFL without the physical tools necessary to make it. Now, some well, I don't know. Have, some, of those, some of those dudes that were selling cars in the offseason back in the 30s and 40s, that, that yeah. they, they were smoking during games, Ari. But, I think but they now, should bring that no, back, you, to be you honest. can't do it. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like um, they, some people have remarkable stories. Uh, some people overcome, uh, personal adversity at, at some point. Uh, some people go the, the long way and, and aren't making it and then make it, you know, there's all sorts of things, but if you can't physically do it, then you can't physically do it. And it's like, that's part of the reason why when you wrap it back to college football, you know, some of these middle tier teams have really, really good athletes, um, and really good people that are good at college football for their level, but can't physically do the things that the teams that they're playing against can do. And the teams that have the, the, the players that can physically do things that everybody else can't 
are the teams that play in the playoff. And that's just, that's, I don't, there's no Super Bowl stat that's going to be like, hey, being athletic and genuinely gifted and different from everybody doesn't matter when playing a game that's extremely physical. It's just, there's no way to equate it to make that make sense. Yeah. Vita Vea ain't like the rest of us. And that's good. That's why we watch. But it, it, it's not. Now, here's the thing. What I love about this part of it, though, is the guys that do come from nowhere, and, and they have their various reasons. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul uh, had had great issues, so he ends up going to two different JUCOs. Uh, you just never know sometimes where these guys are going to come from, or it's sort of like the... I think there was a, it was a Malcolm Gladwell book where they talked about a, a study where they were trying to find... I think they were trying to find great rowers and they were bringing athletes in from other sports who had never even considered rowing before because they thought, okay, well, these, these people have the physical characteristics that are perfect for it, but they've never grown up in an environment where it's a thing they do. So maybe they could be great rowers. It's sort of, it's sort of like how a lot of our ex-football players wind up becoming bobsledders. We, they didn't grow up in it. Like Herschel Walker didn't grow up around a bobsled. There, there are not a lot of bobsleds in Georgia. So it's it's interesting when you look at some of these guys who get recruited or, or get signed. I was thinking um, Arkansas State signed a guy last week who is out of a, a high school that I did a, a story on last year. And the high school is called Clearwater Academy International. And they basically established a pipeline into Canada and Europe to get most of their players. And so they get all these guys that are really interesting physically, but have never played football at a, at a decently high level before. And so they get to play usually like a junior or senior season in America. And then you get to see what happens to them. And Arkansas state signed one of their receivers the other day. And he's like six, five two fifteen, And I'm like, I don't know how good this guy's going to be, but he's, he's from London. So we don't, we don't know what he doesn't know or what he does know. And so I'm fascinated to see, does this guy develop? Because every once in a while you get that where somebody who was never supposed to be this gets in the right situation and they become what physically they were kind of destined to be, but maybe they didn't. Like, if you're born in London, you never even think about playing in the NFL. It's yeah. just not something that even crosses your mind. Yeah, I think I'm happy that you took it there, Andy, because it's an interesting discussion to think. If you were a, pro, uh, a a head coach at a football program that was at the lower third of your Power Five conference, and for circumstances that's not going to change for a while, whether that be geography, academic standards, assign a fake obstacle. If you were the coach, I feel like instead of trying to recruit a bunch of system guys who are like two, three-star players who, you know, with the right seasoning in three years might be a very productive starter. Uh, the Michigan State route where they they took a bunch of two and three-star players or in some four-stars back like in the heart of the D'Antonio era and they developed them for three or four years. And then by year four, when they were all seniors, that was like one of the best football teams in America. Like, I think that's a really effective route if you are a good talent evaluator. But I feel like if I were in well, that and, position, and they also they also sprinkled in some really talented, talented yeah. players in general. That that you know they would get the occasional five star and 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 definitely the occasional yes. four star. So if you can't get those guys, you got to take a different tack. Yeah, and and if you do the different one, I always thought go recruit the most athletic freaks that you can find that don't play football or have only played football for one year or you know for whatever reason have 
have haven't been able to put the tape out there and even if they are inexperienced for two or three years at least have the physical ability to do something crazy and i feel like i would probably try the second one and i don't know that a lot of people try the second one where you just build your roster full of as, as many physical freaks that are completely dysfunctional when it comes to understanding and having played football and trying to assemble a football team out of it because i feel like you might have a better chance of hitting on some of these guys and them turning into being one of the best players in the country, uh, than you do, uh, trying to go the long route and developing, you know, middle tier athletes to try to beat the top tier talent that you're facing, you know, because top 10 top tier talent, even if it's not seasoned or developed, I still think is a better choice than, uh, middle tier talent with experience. Is that crazy? Well, it, all of it, if you if you go that entirely that direction, I think you're going to have a problem because you're going to have a problem running plays and uh, yeah. the, the lack of basic understanding of football is going to be an issue for you. So that you'd need some people at some key positions that could kind of help everybody stay uh, within the flow of the game and kind of understand what's going on. So I, I would say you need a center, a quarterback, a middle linebacker, and probably a safety who who were raised in the game, who, who understand situational football and then try to surround them with the, the dudes who are crazy athletes who, who you might be able to, you know, I mean, look how many NFL tight ends didn't play tight end in high school. Pretty much all of them. They're all basketball players who, you know, they got recruited out eventually like their senior year usually and played, played receiver. Cause they didn't really want to, didn't really want to hit anybody. You know, you, you don't find a lot of like pure tight ends who come up through that way or where they played offensive tackle and it turned out they were super athletic and needed to be moved out. But uh, but yeah, it's it's really interesting how that works. But I, I think your team would get crushed most years. And then every once in a while, you'd be able to you'd put it all together because yeah. you got to hit on a lot of those guys. And then you also have to have to be able to teach them the game very quickly. And football is not a game that you pick up the nuance of. Yeah. immediately like there's certain things like people who've watched fo- who played football for who watch football their whole lives like knowing when you should be calling timeout now granted there's some coaches who don't seem to know this either but i was gonna say but, like, <laughs> you, but you've been in situations where you've been in a crowd of, you know been with a crowd of people watching a game or you've been in a sports book or or whatever and a situation happens and everybody in the everybody stands up and starts making the timeout signal like you need some players on your team who know to yeah. do that and, yeah, I don't know and, if I, I meant like a hundred percent of them, but it's like no, funny. No, but I, I see what you're saying. If you want, especially skill position players, places where it's hard to find elite defensive talent. linemen, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think Absolutely. that that probably be the number one position. That's kind of how this discussion started, right? I mean, if you have elite level uh, defensive linemen who who can run really fast and can jump and recover and all the things that these most athletic defensive linemen do. And I'd say Andy probably that probably the teams that um, are in that five or six, you know, team group that compete for national championships. I think that might be, you know, maybe quarterback, but defensive tackle might be the position that they're most separated at. I don't think people realize how freaky athletic linemen are at these teams. Oh, I, well, Vita Vea last night, I, I hope people were watching him. That is a, he is a unicorn. People like him don't just walk around. He's, this is this dude's 6'4", 340 pounds. He, he legitimately did play tailback in, in high school. There used to be tape, and I don't think it's on the internet anymore, but there was a video of his team in high school. Now, he, he shared time in the backfield 
a little bit with Squally Canada, who played at, at BYU as a tailback. But then they moved him. You know, they had him playing linebacker when he was younger, and they moved him to D line when he as he got even bigger. But there's a play where he's lined up at running back, and it's either a fumble recovery or an interception. They are about to score. The other team goes the other way, and it looks like this this DB is going to easily house it. Like it's going to be a 97 yard return. Vita Vea runs him down 50 yards down the field. And the kid turns back and looks at him like, what just happened to me? That that is a that is an NFL defensive lineman. That they they are 300 plus pounds, but are as athletic as the best athlete at your high school. And can run as sense. fast as hard as fast as skill position players at your high school. I mean, some of these yes. guys can yeah. move. And, you know, it's just you know, it's a reason why when Steph Curry goes and plays golf, he shoots in the 60s, having never like studied the game, you know, and right. it's just they, they, these people are just built differently. And there's a finite amount of these types of players in every single high school recruiting class. And that's why, like every single year, there's one five star defensive end who is the number one player in the country and is like a can't miss guy, whether it be Nick and Joey Bosa or Corey Foreman this year. I mean, there's always one example of it. Brian Breezy from last year who ended up at Clemson. Like these guys. Oh, went, and, and yeah, and he's he's a freaking agent. He's an he's I a mean, monster. If you look at Brian Breezy, you're like, how it how does anybody ever block this guy? I know. And it was so apparent from the beginning that that was always going to happen, which is why he was assigned his star rating and was the number one player in the country, because those players so, are really rare. What you're talking about is find your Margus Hunt. Uh, for those who don't remember, Margus Hunt was an Estonian weight thrower who went to SMU, I believe, to throw the shot put and wound up walking on the football team and becoming an NFL defensive end. Now, He's not a great NFL defensive end, but he was a very good college defensive end, and he's made himself a lot of money. So, I mean, this is this is Ari's Ari's plan in action. Basically, is is you got to go find those guys, and and that actually might be the place to look. Ari is is European basketball. Like you find some of those some of those guys that are playing the four, who, who are basically being priced out of the sport in basketball. Or, or schemed out of the sport. So there is no place in the game for what you and I grew up understanding as the power forward. The, the four doesn't exist anymore. If you're a four you need and you want to play in the NBA, you need to be at least 6'10". You need to be able to hit from outside. You need to be able to move with the ball, move without the ball. Like the, the Charles Barkley... Now, Charles Barkley would have had a place in, in any league, but and Charles Barkley was not, not this tall. But that player is getting phased out of the game. That player is an ideal football tight end or an ideal football offensive tackle. I agree. Yeah, I feel like LeBron is the ideal uh, offensive ta uh, offensive tight end or wide receiver potentially. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's crazy, Andy, because during my time covering Ohio State, they brought in a lot of these freak athletes. That A lot of these can't-miss five-star prospects, they're going to be good. And a lot of them panned out. The Bosa brothers, Chase Young, all those players. But the best player, potentially, that I think I covered in a decade was Malik Hooker. And this was a three-star prospect out of Newcastle, Pennsylvania, who had a crazy highlight reel for dunking in basketball and didn't really have as much experience playing football. And then the kid came in and redshirted one year, uh, or didn't play his first year because there was no way he knew the game well enough to play, redshirted his second year, and then his third year, as a redshirt sophomore, went to the NFL after one year because he made the most insane physical plays that I've ever seen. And if you go watch his highlight tape from college, it's just like, I don't know who (laughs) breeded this person, but this person did things that no other person I think could physically do. And like, this is a three-star prospect that he could have gone to any of the uh, middle tier teams on his list. Um, and maybe Ohio state got lucky or they just did a really good job of evaluating him to know that he was that freaky athletic, but there are a lot of Malik hookers out there in, in the high school rankings. He, he was the 370th most or ranked player. And I think that happened after like star changes. I think he was like in the six, seven hundreds. And that's why, you know, the, the most elite talent evaluators in the country are the ones that have teams that are, you know, out punching their stars. Like it's like Iowa state. You can't say enough about Iowa state. Wasn't the stat that they only had four, four star prospects on their entire roster. And that team almost won the big 12. Like that is to me, I think honestly, if, if, if I could do it, I would make Iowa state's uh, recruiting staff and coaching staff rings for being the best at, at, at developing what they have. I think that's almost as impressive as Nick Saban winning a championship. And well, like and, that and might that's be why that might be kind of crazy to say, but in my world of like seeing how this is, what they were able to do is the most impressive thing I think I saw this year. Well, that's why after they beat Texas with the spot in the, the Big 12 championship game on the line, you and I were both like, well, I guess you do need to consider making a change at Texas because that should never happen to you at Texas. And the Iowa State fans got mad and they didn't understand it was a compliment. Like, that's amazing what Matt Campbell yeah. and his staff have done. Amazing. It's like, and and I remember having all these discussions too about is I is Matt Campbell the most uh, qualified person to have all these jobs? And you know, we talked about how every now and then Iowa State loses inexplicable games, and to go run Michigan or go run one of the teams that he, we figuratively put him on is much different than running Iowa State. But I think that if you just like look. All I all I would have to see on his resume in order to hire him is star totals on roster, overall talent ranking, record, and accomplishment from this season, and I would hire him anywhere. I think that I think that it is remarkable what they were able to do, and the reason why which is it, also it doesn't happen very often is because it's impossible. 
<laughs> which is also why I think his skill set would translate to the NFL, where you have a limited number of players or a limited number of uh, of capabilities, I guess is the best way to put it, because you have a salary cap and it's a hard salary cap and 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 your team chooses that you're going to spend the money this way. And so you have good players at these positions, but to have those really good players at these positions, you must find lower price players at all these other positions and therefore you got to make it work. That is why I think it would travel what he does would travel because he can make it work. That's why I think Matt Rule is going to ultimately be successful in the NFL because he could make that work at Temple and and after taking over a, a disastrous situation at Baylor. I mean that that's I we we've talked about this, but with Urban Meyer it's a different story. Urban Meyer had the talent. It's now the he's going to be in a situation where yeah, he's going to have some talent cuz they've got lots of draft picks, lots of of cap room. They're going to have talent on the Jaguars, but what can he do with those those replacement level guys? Can he make them better? That's that's going to be his challenge. Yeah, I think that that is the biggest possible challenge uh, a coach can face in terms of this transition. I mean, I think I, I don't remember like what Urban Meyer's record was uh, at Ohio State. Um, I think it was like um, uh, like eighty two and and nine or something or something like that. Um, it was obscene. Yeah, yeah, eighty three and nine. I, I just looked it up. I think that he played 12 games total his entire seven-year tenure at Ohio State against teams with equi- equitable talent, and I think he might have gone 6-6. Six and six. Um, And it's just like that. I'm not trying to take anything away from him because being a great college coach means developing and building a roster better than your peers. But when you're talking about games where teams have equitable talent – it's not like he was some mastermind coach who designed a scheme that couldn't be beaten. He got beaten all the time when he was playing against teams that were built like his. So when you go to the NFL and maybe Trevor Lawrence will just turn out to be the next Tom Brady. And I don't know, but when you go to the NFL, all the teams good and bad are in the same plane. Like the gap between the worst team in the NFL and the best team in the NFL isn't nearly as big of a gap as Vanderbilt and Alabama. Like it's so much closer. It's insane. Right. The worst, the worst team can beat the best team on the right day. The the worst team can never beat the best team in college football. Ever. Yeah. You know, what's it? How many times has the worst team in the conference beaten a national championship contender? Has it happened? Maybe you can count on, on one hand, how many times it's happened since I was, I'll tell you, I can tell you, I'll tell you when it happened. Stanford USC. That's the one 2007 to Vita Pritchard. I remember that game like it happened yesterday, but I can't think of another example. Upsets happen, but not like that. No, it just doesn't happen. And so th- that's what I think makes all this so interesting. And, and I'm I'm fascinated as the NFL kind of comes closer to college football. And, and we'll talk about this a lot over the next few months here on the podcast because we're going to talk a lot of pre-draft stuff. And I, I'm always really interested in the draft and, and how NFL teams view these guys we've been watching in college for the last few years and uh, you know, the guys we saw that were dominant and, and people are like, yeah, that's a six round guy. And you're like, what? (laughs) Or, or or the ones who didn't do much of anything and they're getting first round buzz. And you're like, wait, wait, did did, did you you watch the same thing? And so I'm not saying this in, in, in a way to say that the college people are always right because we're not sometimes the NFL folks are exactly right because somebody was underused in college or someone was a good college player, but does not have those elite tools we talked about earlier that would let you succeed in the NFL. So I I think it's going to be fun. Ari, we've got 
quite a few months to go before this. We don't have another football game until until August, but I, I think we we've hopefully will have less mystery this offseason about whether whether there will be football games or when they'll be played. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it's sad that um, it's over. But I remember uh, I had a moment with a friend, uh, you know, I was drinking a Corona and I looked over to him and I just said, it's truly remarkable that we got to this point, you know, and it was just like, I cannot believe given what we thought the world was in June and how the the obstacles both in college and the NFL levels that you were dealing with with the highly contagious virus and the cancellation of games and, and quarantining and what a disaster the whole thing was. It's like they played an entire NFL season. They played a Super Bowl game. And like for the most part, I think it went infinitely better uh, than we all could have ever imagined, maybe even at both levels. Now, it was more of a cluster in college because unpaid athletes yeah. should be treated differently. But I still think college exceeded my expectations from my wildest imagination. They went to the playoff and they got through a playoff. And, you know, this season, the, the motto was do the best we can. It was like they did really, really good. Now, oh, I hope. I, 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 absolutely. Yeah, now I hope that with six or eight months to go from here before football games start up again, it's going to be a sad six months, but I hope these six months are used, um, you know, from not just a football standpoint, but from a humanity standpoint as a way that we can kind of better understand this virus. Maybe this vaccine will get out there and and people will get to, you know, return to their to more normal lives and football will be normal. But if they could do it, if they could play football through that, uh, I don't know if there's any circumstance on earth that they couldn't play football through. Well, it's it's pretty interesting, and, and one of our colleagues just texted me and, and pointed this out, and I had not thought about this. But remember back in, in July and August when we were saying, just postpone to the spring, it'll be better then. It's really not. So if, if everybody postponed to the spring, I don't know that it would have changed anything, except you would have had an even more complicated situation trying to play football right now. Yeah, yeah, and there was no way to know you know, what would happen uh, in, in if everything got changed and, you know, how things would go from here on out. But and there's no way that you could know what the world would be like from a virus standpoint right now. Um, but just like the fact that they just kind of forged ahead and did what they had to do was, you know, it seemed crazy at the time. And, and maybe it was. But, you know, getting through the season, I think, was one of the, the craziest things that, you know, the sport could ever overcome. And if it could overcome that, it can figure out NIL, right? <laughs> I, I somehow think they'll have a harder time with that, but <laughs> hey, it's coming whether they want it or not. So we got we got all kinds of stuff to talk about these next few months. Don't don't think just because there are no more football games, there's nothing to talk about. We got massive changes coming in the world of college football. We got transfer portal, uh, essential free agency. It's going to be crazy. We've got FCS football going on starting next week. We've got actual spring football because the 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 FBS schools are going to be playing spring football. We got it all, pre-draft, you name it. So do not, do not forget to hit the subscribe button on the Andy Staples Show because we will have all kinds of good stuff and we'll have some fun stuff too. We got a couple little projects in the works. I think you're going to like them. We're going to be talking to some coaches, all kinds of good stuff coming up on the Andy Staples Show and we will talk to you on Wednesday. <laughs>